So there's got to be a catalyst that causes true change. Because if there's not a catalyst, then it's not true change. And I feel like prison was my catalyst because it made me look at myself. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. This is the only podcast in East Idaho where you can get to know your local business owners better and learn their origin stories. You know I find their journeys to be so inspiring and they really help me to be a better business owner and overall person for sure. So today I am so excited to have my guest here. He has taken his love of extreme water sports and created a business where Made in the USA is proudly displayed. Welcome Brandon Quinton of High Octane or H2O Industries to the show. Thanks, good to be here. I'm glad to have you because I'm excited to learn all about what you're doing with your business. I understand it has to do with stand-up jet skis. Uh, that's how it started, yeah. So t- yep. tell us about that. What is High Octane or H2O Industries, and how did you get into this business? Um, so High Octane, H2O, as we've like branded ourselves because it's easier, uh, Industries is we basically came up with this idea of making customized covers for stand-up jet skis. Okay. Because with the stand-up jet skis, you have what's called a handle pull, and you can change the length of it, how wide your bars are. Like, there's a lot of things that change how a cover's going to fit. And then... uh, And so a standard cover wasn't always doing it for the writers. You know, when we started out on, like, a standard like a 750 sxi or a yamaha superjet it was fine but there's this whole other industry that isn't really known about around here of aftermarket jet skis Uh so you got like richter crash tiger craft um all these different brands of aftermarket holes that are designed for backflips aerial tricks surf riding and those guys had nothing for covers Everyone's just been putting towels over, bed sheets, no whatever way. to cover really? their skis. Oh yeah, gosh. for years. They started about 15 years ago is when freestyle really kind of kicked off. And so for 15 years, no one's had covers. They've been running bed sheets on their $30,000 jet skis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you would think that somebody would have filled this niche earlier. You think, you think, I know it was talked about because when we were doing market research on everything, you know, there's, there's a page called XH2O that's been around for probably 10 years. And there were plenty of posts about like custom covers and stuff, but nobody ever really stepped up to do it, especially not at like the level that we decided to go to. So I got into freestyle jet skis. Um... Initially, I guess, I got into jet skiing because I got in a four-wheeler accident at the St. Anthony Sand Dunes. Yeah. Uh, I had a stick impale me through my groin up 10 inches into my abdomen. No. And it missed everything like eighth of an inch down to a millimeter. It missed my femoral artery by two millimeters. Oh, my word. How scary was that? 
Um, being that we were just married, I just had two friends die, like the Adam Anderson project. Yes. Adam was yes. a friend. He yes. died, uh, snow machining in yes. an avalanche. And then our other friend, uh, he moved to Boise and just went in for a routine surgery two months before Adam's death. Uh, Pat Johnson was his name and didn't come back out. It was just supposed to be an in and out thing. Wow. And so I had this accident a few months after that happened with them and having a new family, new baby. Eh, I kind of didn't want to keep my four-wheeler, so I sold them as soon as I got them fixed. Yeah, it scared you right out of that sport, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, it took me like three months. And I'm like, okay, I need something because <laughs> I'm going crazy. So I got into jet skis. Now, let me talk Let me talk to you a little bit about that. Because when I think of a jet ski, it's the kind that you sit on and you can buzz around. But we're talking about stand-up jet skis. Yes. And there is a specific market for these for the freestyles so that you can do tricks and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Otherwise, people are not really buying stand-up jet skis just because, are they? They are. Okay. Um, the Yamaha Superjet has been around for ever since the 80s well that's what i'm thinking like i thought they were outlawed back in the 80s but apparently not no um they weren't the two stroke just barely became like an issue with the epa so there's still a super jet and 2021 the new brand new model they actually converted to a four stroke to keep the standard jet down. ski alive mm -hmm. but oh. to still meet the epa yeah okay so the two-stroke end of it's kind of dying out and fading, but the four-stroke still, like, stand up still alive. Mm -hmm. And it's actually going through a resurgence. Everyone from the 80s and 90s, it just kind of died because motocross picked up. Okay. So everyone got in dirt bikes okay. and stuff. Okay. So now you're seeing people so do backflips. So it's one adrenaline thing to a different adrenaline thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So motocross kind of started because... I, People started doing backflips like Travis Pastrana and those guys, you know? Yeah. And it got really popular. Well, now you got people like Lee Stone or Mark Gomez. You don't really know the names yet, but I'm sure you will. Um, who are out there doing double backflips. Wow. Doing crazy things on jet skis. So it's starting to get a resurgence because of that side of the sport is appealing to young riders. Yeah. it's. I watched some of the video on your Facebook page from the British... Tell me what that was. Oh, the British Freestyle Yeah, the British Freestyle. And there was a kid that was like 11. Two kids. Yeah. Yep. And crazy flipping from, all over the place. Um, Minnesota or somewhere. Yeah, I was going to say, George, I'm sorry if I get this wrong, <laughs> but I think the Jukish family is from Minnesota. Yeah, that's, I think, who I saw. And, and it was amazing. Gabe's 14 and his little brother Nolan's 11, and they both took first place in their class. I think I saw the 11-year-old, and it was... was insane. My mouth was on the my desk. It was crazy. Yep. So is that what you're doing when you're talking about you left four-wheeling to do jet ski are we talking about flips and all that kind of stuff um initially no it wasn't it was just riding and then it wasn't enough adrenaline so yes then i i moved into the aftermarket jet skis and wanted to do more aerial tricks and stuff which then introduced me to the idea that there's no cover options for these guys yeah so i built one for my ski and then my wife Brittany was like you need to market this you need to do like this needs to be a business 
and you need to market it. So when you say you built one, you got out the sewing machine and sewed it? Um, I <laughs> collaborated okay. with a local, because okay. the sewing machine I have, or had, I guess, was just like a home sewing yeah, machine. Yeah, right. I, that's what I'm imagining. I can't see you, you know. Da, 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 da. Yeah. But, <laughs> so okay. um, I did a lot of market research, found what material I wanted my cover to be made out of which was a really high grade material with a soft lining on the inside. Right. Because, you know, it's a $20,000 jet ski. Why would you not put a soft cover on it? Right. So I found that and then went to this local company, Idaho Canvas, yeah. which is on North Yellowstone Highway just before, yeah. you know, that bridge Glad everyone always or Whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> so I went over there and said, hey, I have this idea. This is what I want to do, but in doing it, can you make me a pattern and have me help you work on this? Got it. Get it done. Yeah. And so they did. They made it. I had a pattern. So now I could recreate that cover. And that's kind of how it all started. Was So your wife said, that. you need to do this as a business. Yes. All right. So then what happened from there? Like, I mean, because building it for yourself and this is your hobby and you're really excited about all of this, but now taking that and making some for other people, you probably had some logistics and things you had to put together there. There was a lot from there because I made the cover. Um, honestly, I made like four covers before I finally got to that stage that we just talked about where I went in and said, let's make a pattern. Um, dialing everything in uh -huh, just getting it right once we got it right that was post Brittany saying you need to make this a business got it so when she said make this a business i already had business plans laid for this other project with jet skis which we're gonna still do but not yet we're gonna do an electric conversion for your jet ski so you can have more power instantaneously but there's a lot that's going into that and it's a really expensive venture. So <laughs> it's stage two or three or four. <laughs> yeah. So the covers was like, yeah, this is achievable. It's a lot cheaper. Like I can do a cover for a couple hundred bucks. This electric conversion, I have to buy a twenty thousand dollar motorcycle and tear it apart and yeah. then add that. Yeah. So yeah. This idea it's your gateway. was yes. like, okay, let's take business plan A, let's change it and make it business plan B for the covers. I love that because I think that is such a lesson for all of us in how to adapt. Maybe that business plan wasn't exactly what you could execute. So you went somewhere else. Yeah. I love it. Yep. Okay. And that's, there's been a lot of that. Like adapting. Nothing has come easy with this at all. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. But I want to know, um, do you also build engines or are you primarily just focusing on the covers? No, I actually, I've built a few skis from ground up for other people or for yourself uh both mm -hmm. myself and other people mm -hmm. um i have accounts so i can get parts a little cheaper and help people sure. out so some of my friends that have needed skis built you know i've helped them um for myself i've built a couple i took my ski and completely redid it so there is some like mechanics involved in yeah. what we do too. And we are planning to maybe offer that to the community. A little more wide here. scale. Yep. Well, what is the market in Idaho? I, when I think about 
jet skiing, we don't really have a huge long season to be able to do that. So what is that market like? Maybe I don't know. Uh, I feel like the market in Idaho is actually like budding. Like it's starting, you're starting to see more stand-up jet skis. If you go out to the lake, like last year versus this year even, I've had a lot of people say, dude, what's going on? There's like, I didn't see any last year. And this year, every time I go, there's at least a group of three or four. Yeah. And so it's kind of a budding thing, but it plays naturally into these guys that are sled heads that go out and ride snow machines. Oh, okay. Because snow machines, a winter thing. They get their groove on in the winter. They have to put it away. They're bummed. Summer picks up. There's jet skis that the stand-ups are a lot harder to ride than the sit-downs. There's a lot more technical difficulty to it. Right. So it's it can be more rewarding to learn everything, just like snowmobiling. Got it. The guys that do backcountry are more likely to be the guys that are out riding stand-ups. Well, I can see why that would be popular because snowmobiles are certainly popular here. So we've yes, got to do something <laughs> in the summer. I love it. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So when I was on your website, I noticed, are you a distributor also for other people's products? Yes. Okay. Yep. So you just have made collaborations with them to be able to sell their stuff. Yep. It's been, I don't, I don't have a problem talking with people. A lot of people ask me, Hey, how did you get like, for instance, we got Engine Tech ET there out of Canada. How did you get set up with Engine Tech to be a dealer? I'm like, I don't, I just called, called them. them and <laughs> talked to them. I love yeah, it. Yeah, there's a little bit of money involved sometimes, but that's really like, don't be afraid to hear no. Go out. If you want something, at least go ask. So, why was that important for you? I mean, you know, to just, why didn't you just stick with covers? Why are you distributing other people's things? To me personally, I want to see the sport grow and I'm all about helping the sport grow. So I've, I've pushed locally getting people to ride jet skis, but I have more tried to expand what I can offer our consumers. And then the knowledge base I've gained over the last, it's only been three years, but I've picked up so much knowledge from so many people that a lot of people just come to me because you're the expert because yeah because yeah. i've researched stuff yeah um like crash industries it's a new they're only 2015 was when they first announced that they were doing anything they started actual distribution on like a worldwide level in 2018 2019 and they're new enough that not a lot of people know about them but the people that do know about them is limited. And I'm one of those people that just ended up being in the right place, right place, right time. Yeah. Have talked to the right people. So I have a really wide knowledge base of like that ski in particular. Yeah. So would you say that your business is pretty well known in the jet ski community, not just local? Um, up until world finals which was in Lake Havasu. They do it every year. Which, uh, it was like two weeks ago. Not really. I had a lot of people come up and say, dude, these are awesome covers. Why haven't people done this? Where have you been? Like, well, we started in February. Just this year? Just this year. Okay, so you're still pretty new. Yeah, but on another 
point, I guess, the professional riders that were there doing pro freestyle, all of them knew long before world finals. Got it. Got it. Just because I marketed to them, to them mm -hmm. and talked to them and, you know, and I developed the product and we're continuing to develop the product. Um, we discuss, you know, stuff with the pros because they're the ones that not only are riding full time, but they're also the ones who, if they have this, everyone else is going to follow and say, oh, well, he's got yeah, this absolutely. cover I on be his like him. ski. I mm -hmm. want that cover. So are you sponsoring any riders? I do have sponsored riders. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. We've got quite a few. I've tried to keep quite a bit of my business confined in Idaho. Um, so we have some Idaho riders, Idaho locals, I guess, that are riders like Von Barry. Um, his Instagram's at flippin' fat guy. <laughs> okay. He's from Cord Lane. Uh-huh. Um, Demi Moore. She's from I think Moore's not her last name. Demi. High Speed Industries is the business that she's part of, but Demi is also from up in like the northern near Coeur d'Alene area. Got it. And we sponsor her and, and then of course, we're going to sponsor Bentley, my son, with of course, his ski. So. Of course. And how old is your son? Four. Yeah. And we're gonna, building a jet ski for him this month. It's going to be a little monster month. out there. Yeah. I love it. So I guess maybe for the listeners who may not really understand this, because I'm coming from my own perspective, there are actual competitions where people are judged, um, where they're going out and they're doing all sorts of I don't know what you'd call them, but flips and aerial. thank you, aerials. aerial yeah. maneuvers. Yes. And they all have fancy names like in motocross when they're doing um, uh, Superman and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So is it, it, it the, I mean, are there awards? Is there money to be earned in this sport? There is because with any competition, you have your entry fees oh, yeah. that you pay. Yeah. Right. And your entry fees cover... Um, some of the competition cost, but they also cover trophy cost and prize cost. So, for instance, uh, virtual British Freestyle Championship it was the first thing ever done virtually. And if you guys want to see it, hop on the Facebook page, your Facebook page, H2O yep. Industries, and you can watch it. It's crazy. It's awesome. It's about two hours long i think yeah i don't know i kind of skipped a few but you but can yeah, you can pop so through cool. it uh we did a live feed through facebook and yeah it was pretty cool um so that was the first ever championship done that way and i headline sponsored it so we gave free covers to everyone that won plus a uh, hundred dollars off covers for everyone that was runner up and it actually i think they ended up doing just combining those and giving a free cover away to whoever got the drawing and then um we gave away a hitch hauler which is you know, put it on the back of your truck and you can put your ski on and yeah. not have to tow a trailer yeah um so we did that and then a bunch of other companies just kind of followed suit and offered everything from you know vouchers from x amount off of their products to actual physical products well you're certainly working on getting your name out there 
It's kind yeah, of fun. I think, I think we're doing pretty good marketing-wise. Yeah. So do you, now tell me, because I swear I saw a video where somebody was getting in maybe the river and there was snow on the ground. You guys were out there in the snow. Uh, Is that normal? Do you do this? <laughs> I, I did do that. That was you. That was me. <laughs> that was yes. me and... Uh, the social hustle team. Yes. Which was um Which I've interviewed them, Dallin and Chris. Dallin yeah. Bernard, yep. yep. So Dallin and then Chris's younger brother, right. whose name is also Chris. Yes, indeed. We know we know <laughs> Christopher. <the> Chris. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so Dallin and Christopher, I had this crazy idea and I said, dude, I'm gonna Let's take go my this. jet ski out middle of January to the Snake River out by the Manan Buttes. Yes. And you're going to film me and we're going to, that's going to be our marketing advertisement. Well, it was really cool. And so if anybody wants to see it, hop on the Facebook page and take a look at it. Um, it did make me cold. I will say that. <laughs> and so were you freezing? Um, <laughs> you know, it was a little weird. Um, that's I not normal. That cold. You're not out there in January usually. No. This was for. I go once or twice every month. Okay. Even December, January. All right. I'll go out and I'll ride as long as there's somewhere to ride, which yeah. Manan's good because the river flows and so it never freezes over. Yes. Um, but I did have double layered wetsuits. So I had about six mil of wetsuit on. I had six mil of wetsuit <laughs> socks <too>. on. <laughs> I had Crazy. my gloves, my helmet. So we were we were safe in what we were doing. So let me just say, we do not recommend this without a whole lot of insulation before you get into that stinking river. Insulation Bird. and then knowing how to ride. Because if you fall in the water, which I didn't at all. So yeah, that was one that key factor to me staying warm. If you fall in the water, it's really fast, even with wetsuits that you can get hypothermia. So. Okay. Well, you be careful. I it will. was pretty fascinating to watch, though. It's, it's kind of fun. fun. <laughs> um, okay. So, is it true? Do you also rent stand up jet skis? No, but <laughs> we do offer lessons if you want to learn how to ride stand up. Really? Well, that's good to know. Or if you purchase a stand up from us, which we're getting ready to carry the crash brand that we've talked about. Um, we actually, everything that we You'll provide do lessons. and sell or build, we go out for a day with the person who bought it and make sure that everything's running right, that they don't have any questions and that they know how they need to ride. Yeah, thank you for those who, you know, it looks like it's easy, but I'm sure it is not. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I always have to ask this because I'm fascinated, especially with people who kind of just begin out of nowhere. Um, how did you finance this? Was this something, did you have investors that helped you with it? Or was it just kind of like sell your first one, finance your second one kind of thing? Um, it's a little weird how I did it. Instead of crowdfunding, because we looked into crowdfunding and the crowdfunding idea is great, except they take like 30 something percent right. off the top. Right. So let's say you have a good idea, but you get 10 grand. You really only got six because they're going to take their part, mm -hmm. which is fine. I get it. That's why there's businesses like that to help you get money, but they're there to make money themselves. Yeah. So I get it. Um, but instead of doing that, we actually went a different route and we got our product fully developed, had it finished, 
did some professional photography, worked with the Dallin and Christian again, uh-huh. of course. Mm-hmm. And then we introduced it to market, I guess, just through Facebook. We didn't even have a website, really. Yeah. We just said, hey, we're offering these. I love it. We're going to do a pre-order if you want one. And at that point, we were using a company out of Michigan who they would order the fabric. And then I sent them the hard copies of the patterns. They cut them out and then they sewed them and then they sent them to me done. Okay, got it. All I had to do was pull the bottom the cam strap through the bottom, which is one of the big differences in our product versus other covers. Okay. Um, so we did that twice. Did a pre-order for 15, sold 15, did another pre-order for 15. And that funded sold every about time? 10. You... Okay. Yeah, it was every one I sold would pay for two, basically, uh-huh, uh-huh. was where we were at yeah, good. on that. Now, I understand, though, that that supplier during COVID said, sorry, you were laying everybody off and you are no longer our customer. Is that true? <laughs> uh, actually, yeah. We were Memorial Day. We drove to California to go ride ocean with some of my new jet ski friends, my newfound jet ski friends um, that live in Medford, Oregon. And on the way back, we were in about Wells, Nevada, and I got a phone call that was like, hey, you're done. We're done. Sorry. (laughs) And then what'd you do? Um, You know, I had the rest of the drive to think about it. (laughs) So, I mean, 10 hours in a car, kids asleep. It's a good time. Wife's asleep. Uh, Stress. You know, you do what business owners do when stuff like that happens. You stress on it, and then you... Like, okay, well, what do I need to do? So I adapted. And by the time I got home, I had made the decision. I was taking my engine out of my jet ski, selling it, maybe selling my jet ski whole, and then taking what I had from those first two orders and buying sewing machines to do it To do it yourself. Yep. And so is that what you did? That is what I did. Wow. I sold my jet ski motor. I didn't have a jet ski for two or three months. Kind of lucked into getting another motor. Otherwise, I'd still not have a jet ski. But uh didn't have a jet ski for two or three months. But I got sewing machines. And I started sewing them myself. So in your basement, you're down there sewing your covers. Yep. We're wow. in my basement with $10,000 worth of sewing machines. Yeah. Wow. Sewing some covers up. Wow. Well, that's a great example of some tenacity. Like you didn't let that get you down. No, I have a, I have a tendency to uh, overcome whatever issues kind of come my way. Mm-hmm. So you just problem solve through them. Yeah. I'm, I might be mad for a few hours, but I usually by the end of the day or the end of the second day, I usually <laughs> have a plan. Just give them some time to process, guys. And then <laughs> from there, it kind of develops into a better plan most of the time. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, you did mention to me that you've faced a lot of roadblocks along the way to building this business. So tell me, <laughs> the tell the listeners. The yeah. So, <laughs> so let's talk about that. What have those roadblocks or things that have happened in your life? How has that shaped you being able to be a business owner now? Oh man. I don't know. I guess starting out, 
as a kid, like parents divorced in the 90s, it started to become like a normal thing, I guess. So went through that as a kid and the back and forth of parents that kind of developed my sense of like adjusting to things, I think uh-huh. being so you had to adjustable because mm-hmm. I had to. And then I had a hard time in school because I'm so hyperactive. Sitting down is not good for me mm-hmm. and reading books isn't my thing. Just not the way you learn. Yeah. Huh? You can show me and I've got it. <laughs> yeah. You hand me a book and I'll burn it. <laughs> I've got no use for it. Because that's an activity you can do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, struggling through like my ADHD and kind of figuring out how to cope with that through, it took me past high school to figure out that work is where when I'm working, my ADHD, ADD, whatever you want to call it, that's where it focus. Yeah. Like all of that energy comes from out here and it pinpoints on this one thing, and then I'm like unstoppable mm-hmm. on that one thing mm-hmm. while I'm focused on it. Yeah. Would you say you're almost like obsessed with just that accomplishing that thing? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. I've learned that if I set tiny goals for myself, if I'm at work and let's say I, so I'm like a carpenter full time, and then I do this on the side still, side hustle. Um, I'm trimming out a house. I can't think about the whole house. I have to go in one room and say, okay, I need to finish this room. Mm-hmm. And I'll just work until that room's done. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's five o'clock. You're like, oh, hey, end of the day. Uh-huh. So I do the same thing in every application of my life because I've found that that's my most efficient way to go through. Got life. it. Got it. So you still have a full-time thing and this. Yes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Well, I think that should temper all of this stuff going on in your head. You've got a lot of places to focus that. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we, we stay pretty focused at work. Otherwise, there's too much other stuff to think of. Yeah, I suspect. Probably being. Are you, do you ride snowmobiles then? Used to. Uh, the Adam thing. Yeah. Once that happened and then my four-wheeler accident combined, that just turned that... me off to that whole idea yeah. of snow yeah. machining. Yeah. Because I was thinking about it. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, you got to get that fixed. Now you can just get on your jet ski and take it in the river, apparently. Yeah, I mean, like the <laughs> Snake River is any safer. but <laughs> Well, currently it is in your mind. So you It got is that, in my head, you got so we're good right now. No issues. All right, well, I also understand that you had some struggles where you were actually incarcerated. Yes. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that, because I think that adds to the journey that you have had to overcome to the whole, challenges yeah the whole thing yes um you know 18 out of high school uh, parent stuff normal i feel like normal maybe it's yeah. not normal yeah. probably um, kind of lost with everything that was going on yeah, yeah there's a lot going on um at one point when i was 18 i was homeless living for it was like from november to february in the winter living in my yukon if it was too cold in the yukon i'd park in front of the uh the falls in idaho falls and go in the bathroom and lay underneath the hand wow. dryer and hit that because yeah. it was warm yeah and that would keep me warm so i i did that through that winter and then um struggling through that decided yeah i, was, 
I need money, so I'm going to start stealing people's stuff and scrap metal, whatever, you know. Yeah. So I start yeah. taking people's scrap, going to businesses and taking their stuff, writing checks to myself from family members. And just, And then it turned from just trying to survive into, well, this is an easy way to get money. Yeah. So it's I'm going to do this. It's working. And these people think I'm cool for doing it. So I'm just going to keep on that path. And that path didn't last very long. Mm. It ended up, you know, seven years of my life later, um, in and out of jail, and then two full years in prison. Um, I went into prison 2012, got out 2014, and said, okay, well, that was awful. I don't want to do <laughs> I mean, that again. I'm not doing that again. Uh-huh. So um, finished my parole term, got my cold seals, you know, did really good, finished all that stuff out and then just worked through it all. Yeah. Really just worked. stayed focused. Work is what really got me through it all, uh-huh. I think, mm-hmm. because workaholic, we talked about the focused energy thing. And then a lot of that was while I was in there, you know, you got a lot of time. <laughs> So there's a lot of self introspection going on saying, okay, why did I, why did I take this? How'd you get there? You know, Mm -hmm. um, what road led me here? What are my core beliefs that said, you know, if I steal this money and I have this and this and this, people will think I'm cool and that's what I want. And so I had the opportunity to adjust while I was in there, mm-hmm. adjust my mindset, see where my mindset was falling short, see what qualities were good. I actually have like, I don't think it's in here. I have like a book basically. It's an inch thick of papers of just like my core beliefs, things that I needed to change, things that were good, like a whole like four page stapled together spreadsheet of a bubble sheet of how my mind works. That was my ADHD. I was focused on that and I yeah. ended up basically writing a book about myself yeah. so yeah that lo- taught me a lot about myself and when I got out it was like you were different yeah different me I've changed even since I got out mm-hmm. probably a little bit for the worse a little bit for the better <laughs> well probably because also you are a family man now yeah 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 there was some there's some good and some bad you get out and you know i was so happy to be out that i was just nice to everybody <laughs> and i'm like man the sky's so blue oh my gosh <laughs> and uh double rainbow across the sky yes <laughs> you know and now it's like you're driving down the road you don't even notice some some of the stuff that i noticed when i first got yeah. out yeah but it's kind of the way life goes you get busy doing one thing and you kind of forget about some of this other stuff that's really awesome and shouldn't be forgot about but it just happens yeah i think we do tend to decide especially when things are going well we take things for granted yeah Um, so then the question that i have for you is obviously no one would ever choose to be incarcerated go through all of that but do you feel like that was that had to happen in order for you to be where you are today 100 percent. yeah no question yeah like Me then versus me now wouldn't be a me now without, you know, being forced to look at myself. In order for true change to happen, there has to be 
some kind of uncomfortability. Um, there's a word that I'm looking for. Um, I like uncomfortability. Yeah. That's a great word. Yeah. I mean, you have to have enough pain to change. Yeah. There's got to be a catalyst. There you go. Catalyst is the word. So there's <laughs> got to be a catalyst that causes true change. Yeah. Because if there's not a catalyst, then it's not true change. And I feel like prison was my catalyst because it made me look at myself. Kind of your savior, huh? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't great. I no, didn't enjoy don't it by recommend any means. It. No, do not recommend <laughs> that. One star out of five, probably <laughs> only because I got to play a little bit of Xbox and watch TV most of the time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, not recommended. Yes, I but understand that. Need it. Well, I think I've heard you explain <clears throat> your um, personality as that you have this optimism and this stubborn tenacity. Is that true? I'd say that's pretty accurate. The stubborn <laughs> part, my wife would probably agree with. Yeah. We could bring her in and we could ask her, but I don't think we even need to. Right. It's a sure thing. It's for sure. And I, it's been passed to some of my kids. So let's talk about your wife. Your wife, when you talk about we with this business, it yes. was the two of you. It has been the two of you. Yes. Um, financial wise. Yeah. She's the girl. I'm not good with money. Mm-hmm. I spend money. That's what I'm good at. Yeah. You're the visionary. You know, the the whole thing with male and female and never give the female the card because it'll come back racked up completely. That's, I'm female, I guess. <laughs> that is what it is. Um, so she has been really good at the financial end of things. Yeah. And she knew that from the get-go that if we were going to do anything, she needed to be She's CFO. doing that part. Uh-huh. So... She's doing really good as CFO. And then president-wise, um, we have meetings. We talk about, I say, okay, so this is what I'm thinking. What do you think of this? And she's been a really good soundboard as well as good ideas come from her mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have thought of myself. It's a very good team. You're a good balance. Yeah. Well, I love to hear that because I'm always fascinated about, especially couples who work together. I, we have that dynamic in our business. And so it's fascinating to me to know, you know, how is it working with your wife or with your husband or your significant other? Because sometimes that can be sometimes like the beginning of the divorce. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad to hear that you guys have your lane and you know it and you're sticking to it. Yeah, sometimes that is grounds for divorce. But <laughs> for us, Brittany, she's just so like sweet and calm and mild mannered that it's pretty easy to get along with her. And if she says you can't spend the money on that, then I can't spend the money on well, that. Well, good. I'm glad it you know. That's, that's very good. So do you have, I mean, your kids are little. Tell me what the age of your children are. Bentley, our oldest, is four. Okay. July. Brinley, our middleest. That's Brittany's word, middleest. Okay. Our middleest is three, September. Okay. And then Bradley is two October. So you guys were just bam, bam, bam with these kids. Yeah, I blame the Bahamas. <laughs> Every time we went to the Bahamas, there's Here's something in the water there because there's <laughs> That's a it. kid. It's we haven't gone again water. since. And there's no kids, so I don't think it's coincidence. Yeah. Don't go to the Bahamas if you don't want kids. <laughs> 
good good to know <laughs> i will make sure i write that down <laughs> okay well you have a busy little family is where i'm going with yeah, this yes yes um britney's got a full-time job being a mom yeah i have 300 full-time jobs doing what i do yeah um britney's president cfo i'm head of sales and co-founder and then so being head of sales i do all the marketing networking and the four-year-old is your future writer who's going to take this to the next i don't know i think our two-year-old <laughs> oh honestly, might be the one or maybe brindley okay because maybe all of them bradley's fearless brindley has my don't care tenacity mm-hmm and Bentley's probably the most like Brittany, which means he's like a nervous wreck. Okay. So <laughs> he's afraid to do backflips. <laughs> yes. That could change because they're still just little. They're very little. But I feel like if anyone's going to be the one to just jump on and rip a flip, it's going to be Bradley. Okay. 100%. Well, it'll be fun to watch these kids on their little tiny stand-up jet skis out in the water. It's yeah, awesome. it's going to be sweet. Okay, so... What I always ask this too, and not in a way that um, it's meant to be offensive at all, but what in the heck made you believe that you could do this business? Like, had you come from an entrepreneurial family? Did you just think, no, I'm just going to do this? What was it that gave you that motivation? Man, I guess there's a lot there. A, you know, tenacious. Yeah. Selfish, stubborn. <laughs> all those. Just get out of my way. I'll yeah. do what I want. Uh, that. So there's that. B, um, let's go through the list. Stepdad owned Advanced Countertops in Ryrie. Okay. Now is like part of rock solid granite in Idaho Falls. Um, grandfather on my mom, we'll go through mom's side real quick. Grandfather on my mom's side um, invented, I don't know if you were around back in the day when the church used to just pull out the dividers that folded together and that was how they separated their rooms. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That was him. He, he invented, invented those. Wow. And built those in Archer. Yeah, wow. Um, so he did that. The, his dad before him, also a carpenter with his own business and it just carries on. Wayne's Tire. That's my Uncle Wayne. Okay, so you have lots of these entrepreneurs in your yeah. family. So was that kind of an inspiration to you? Like, they've all done this, why can't I? It didn't necessarily roll through my mind like that, but it's definitely probably part of my... Genetics. I can do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. attitude that I've got. Yeah. My Uncle Mike owns Mike Peter or Peterson Cabinets and Trim. My Uncle Dave owns Legacy Builders. I've worked with them for since I was 17. Obviously, yeah. there was the on and off phase, but yes. worked with them since I was 17 as well as my dad. So, I kind of just grew up around entrepreneur so you talk about this tenacity and and i you know just talking with you i see that you're confident you you know you're just gonna go ahead and do it but do you ever have feelings of doubt like what am i doing this is like not what i thought i was gonna be doing or are you just so into it you love it before this yeah all the time like 2017 four-wheeler accident era right um working for my uncle like looking at college thinking man this isn't like i'm good at this but 
school's not really your thing. It's not my calling. And I don't want to go to school either. So I'm like stuck and I just banging my head against the wall. There's a period of time where my coworkers at Peterson Cabinets probably hated me because <laughs> you're taking it out on them. Yeah. And I had no will to be there. Mm -hmm. Like I was there and I worked, but I was grumpy about it. I wasn't happy about right. it, you know, right. and it's been on and off because, you know, you go on a vacation for a month away from it and come back. Of course, you're happy. You just got back from the Bahamas and now you got a baby coming. <laughs> right. Uh, so there was that, I guess, a little bit with the Peterson cabinets thing. But since I've started H2O, even the Peterson cabinets thing has been like. It's fine. okay. Yeah. 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 Like I work here because it gets me my constant money that I need to pay the bills. Yeah. I'm so going to go home. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build some covers and you know, in a month I'm going to be going to Lake Havasu for world finals or in two weeks, I'm going to Boise for the Boise snow show in January. I'm going to Daytona for a snow or for a jet ski event. Like I have things to look forward to now that I actually enjoy that give me a reason to not just continue doing what I'm doing. Yeah with the business, but also to just continue doing what I'm doing, helping my uncle with his business. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it so much. Okay. So you talked about going to a snow show. What, yeah. Why are you going to a snow show? <laughs> Fun and exciting thing. We don't just do jet skis. Um, we're developing a high end cover for snow machines. Awesome. And we're going to launch it at the Boise Snow Show. Oh, dang. We just revealed it. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay. A few people have known because we were planning on doing it at the Utah Expo. But the timing and stuff hasn't quite lined up. Mm -hmm. World Finals put me a little bit behind. Mm -hmm. Plus, plus you're doing all of this Utah yourself, right? Thing. Like yeah. you're still the one man show. Yep. Yeah. I did just hire somebody then. Okay. To do some sewing for us. Look at you. So that's a plus. All but right. Oh, go ahead. Snow machines. Yeah. Is a thing. The next thing. Well, one of the next things. We also have some super high end exotic cars coming in the shop in the next month. What? Uh, Viper, Corvette C8, either a Lambo, Ferrari, or McLaren, another Ferrari, a Nissan Skyline. Now, how have you gotten into all of this? So you're building covers for these cars. Mm -hmm. And was it just because somebody saw your cover or have you been marketing this? No, I just do what I do and reach out to people and yeah. say, hey, I need to Let's talk try to you. This. I want to try this. Yeah. So I had this idea about the exotic cars when I was in Havasu in July. Um, Dallin went with me. Dallin rented a Ferrari. Brandon said, I could put a cover on a Ferrari. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. Three months Dallin, later. look what you started. And uh, I've got a Ferrari coming to the shop in like a month. How fun will that be? That's going to be pretty fun. Yeah, good for you. Especially if they take me on a ride. Uh-huh. Well, we expect <laughs> pictures so we can oh, see Oh, there's going to be pictures. Thing. Yeah. That's going to be, if nothing else comes from it, if we don't build covers and market those it'll just be a marketing like saying hey look like what you we on can the river do. in the middle of the winter exactly <laughs> you don't always ride in the river or we don't always build covers but for high-end cars yeah but 
it's sweet when we do. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to see that. Okay, well, Brandon, what advice would you give to anyone considering starting their own business? Just go for it. I don't know. Honestly, do your market research first because there's a lot of people out there that think that they might have something special that they don't do their due diligence and then they end up mad because they wasted their money or their time when really if they'd done a little bit of due diligence on it maybe they could have adjusted like we did and said okay we're not going to do this we're going to do this yeah or we can take this and then make it better by doing this so if you do your due diligence you do your market research you make sure that all those things line up then yeah go for it get on the ball just start calling people say hey <laughs> i'm doing this this is what we do yeah i love it so i love it that's what i would say give me a ferrari i'm gonna put that cover on it exactly <laughs> you know that's great doesn't matter if it's makeup line or a few brush cats for a living you know <laughs> Check, check out the local people, see who does it. If there's not a lot of people that do it or you think you do it better, do it, do it better and go show people that you can do it better. Thank you. I love that advice. I think that's awesome. Brandon, is there anything else you'd like to share? We have been talking for some time and I've loved every minute of it. So tell me, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, You know, being an Idaho native, like I grew up here, I moved away from here for a little bit, came back and I'm still here. Um, just because you're small town doesn't mean that you have to stay small town with your ambitions. Like you can get big city ambitions and achieve them small town. It's not a small town anymore because it's not a small world. Everyone's connected through the multimedia you got facebook instagram all these apps twitter that you're i talk to people literally all the way across the world every single day and it's like they're right here yeah yeah and that's something that is like portrayed as a big city dream um dream life status stuff and it's really not that hard nowadays so it doesn't matter if you're from a small town. You don't need to move to the big city to get big things done anymore. Just get her done. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> okay, we'll do it. I'm inspired. I'm going to go do something. Me too. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and especially for your education on this emerging super fun sport. And I guess maybe if we need lessons, we know who to call if we're going to. You won't see me out there, but, you know, I'll send my kid. If you're driving past the green belt, you see someone out there doing some backflips and stuff, you know, stop in, Likely say, you. hey, say what's up. <laughs> and hey, can maybe you give me a lesson? No, no. I mean, if you want one. You, we, you got it. <laughs> well, we appreciate your dedication to small business and especially your passion for this sport and all that you're doing. I just think the sky's the limit for you. You're going to do some amazing things. So we'll be looking for you and your customers out there doing crazy tricks, blowing our mind. Good luck on all your new ventures. And we will be watching as you help bring this sport into the mainstream. Awesome. All right, guys, as a reminder, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. If you're looking for quality automotive repair, 
provided with honesty and integrity. You know who to come and see. Come and see us and let our family take care of your family. Now stay tuned for the Business Leadership Moment. It's now time for a Business Leadership Moment on East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Welcome to the Business Leadership Moment. This segment is brought to you by RiseCon and RiseX. RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference held every November, which it's now. So hopefully you're joining us. If not, check it out. Be putting on your calendar for next November for sure. They also have a sister event called RiseCon, which is held every month. And it's a great compliment. So check those out and join us uh, for RiseCon and RiseX. Um, All right, guys, today I wanted to just quickly talk to you about one of my favorite topics. Um, I happened to be working with a client and we had a conversation around how in their organization, they're very kind. They're very compassionate. They give their individuals a lot of chances. Now, I love that, right? I think that that's very admirable. We want to set our team up to succeed and to be the very best that they can be. But as I was listening, um, I was listening to an organization that allowed behaviors to occur that were not the expectation of the organization. Um, but they were look, you know, overlooked or looked the other way or we'll give you a chance, um, all in the name of uh, wanting to be nice, right, and be a compassionate organization. Um, and then the owners and and uh, leaders of this organization would get really frustrated because they had these team members who were, they were having to pull along the entire time and who weren't actually living up to the expectations of their job. Um, and to the point where at sometimes they'd have to do disciplinary action or even terminate, and it would be a surprise. It would be a surprise to that um, employee. So what I want to say to you guys is I I love compassionate people and I love kindness and we need to have more of it. And you've heard me talk about it for sure. But there is a downside to this. And the downside is that sometimes we cash our kindness and compassion um, in and we say that that's what we want to do when in reality, we're actually being quite cruel. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. In not giving individuals direction about how they're doing, instead of, you know, you're pulling punches or you're softening the message or you're trying to make it feel better, um, at least your interpretation of making it feel better, sometimes, quite often, those messages are, they do fall on deaf ears because that individual only hears Oh, I must be doing okay. You know, that, you know, she gave me a little bit of direction, but seems like things are going all right. All the while, you as the owner, um, leader are pulling your hair out because this individual is nowhere near what you need them to be. But you want to be kind. You don't want to hurt them. You know that they have all these things going on in their life or they have a family that they need to take care of. And so they get distracted with things and, you know, there's surgeries and there's grandma and there's, there's always stuff. Life is always present. And we as owners have got to learn how to have compassion for somebody, truly have compassion for them. But yet they still have to be accountable to the basic expectations of the job. They have chosen to exchange money 
for the work that they're doing. So we we come into the deal with, okay, we will give you money and they come into the deal. I will perform X and there's this great exchange. Um, and then we get into the situation where we allow things to happen out of the ruse of kindness and the exchange seems like it's one way because we're paying and they're not delivering. And yet we continue to do this over and over. And what I will tell you is that is cruel. It is cruel not to give your employees the direction that they need. It's cruel not to tell them where they need to improve and the things that they need to do. Now, of course you would do that without judgment, blame, guilt, being absolutely compassionate and invested in them doing their very best and growing in their or in the organization or in their role. Um, when we bring all that baggage to the table, that's where it gets all kind of messed up. But one of my favorite quotes, I'm sure I've shared it with you before, is from Brene Brown. And she says, compassionate people are boundaries people. So truly, guys, if you are that heart that is just so big and you just want to take care of your employees. Awesome. But what I will advise you is that if you allow them to get along, uh, get away with behaviors that are outside of what you expect in that role or in your organization, because you just want to be nice, you are setting them up to fail and it is cruel and you need to knock it off. We've got to set great boundaries. People want to function within boundaries. Compassionate people are boundaries people. Um, so go ahead a little tough love is good. Just remember there is a love part of that. Okay, guys, have a great week. And I look forward to having you back listening to the show next week. And we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair for all your car care needs in Eastern Idaho. Let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com.